Take it away, boys. I want to talk about the, the reconciliation, the Build Back Better Act. Yeah, I think there's some good things to talk about there. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Let's go, Brandon. What's up? <laughs> Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon? Grace gets it. <laughs> Are you not aware of this, Liz? Huh? <sighs> Never mind. I'm not. Welcome to episode 85. Damn Let's it. go, Brandon. <laughs> oh, no, just kidding. That's horrible. Um, my name is John Grace, producer here in the show. I'd like to introduce my co-host, John Weld, co-owner of Immersion Research, and Lewis Geltman, policy director for the Outdoor Alliance. We have a very exciting show lined up today. We have, going with our movie theme, we have another great movie to talk about um godspeed los polacos which is going to be super interesting we have the director and one of the main characters of the film on the show today and uh we got a little listener mail we got some good stuff about build back better from lewis coming in um yeah how's it going guys i'm a little starstruck i have to admit i'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little nervous for this. Yeah, this is. Yeah, I have to say this is like possibly. I've I don't think I've ever enjoyed a movie as much as I enjoyed this movie. It was fucking right. awesome. Yeah, it was everything that's right about uh, an adventure movie. Yeah, for sure. You couldn't you couldn't script. I mean, you could not write a better like piece of fiction. Yeah, just like all of it, like the characters are like so likable, like the things they're doing are just so wild, and it's just like it just couldn't be better. I'll tell you, it just makes you realize, and we'll we'll talk about this more. How easy it is to go on an expedition now. You know what I mean? Like you complain about, oh my god, we had to get a visa, you know, or like had to deal with these logistics when we got on the ground. We were delayed for five days. I mean. The helicopter is late dropping off my <laughs> resupply of dry tops. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to give away too much, and I don't want to talk about the movie too too early, but, I mean, it took them two and a half years to get out of the country. So, anyway, we'll get into all that here in a little bit. What a story. What a, what a story. And I'm going to – I just want to preemptively apologize. I'm going to butcher some Polish names in this show. So just bear with me there. Um, I've already talked to the people whose names I'm going to butcher. So they're, they're well, well, well aware of it. So, oh, well, what's going on? What are you up to? Dude. Whew. A lot of stuff going on. We're building a retail store here in hood river. It's kind of exciting. It sounds Big like project. quite the undertaking. It is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, I don't know. We're used to doing stuff in conflicts, which is a little more laid back, you know. But now we have like building permits and regulations, and <laughs> it's good like you that. got that that intermediate step of white salmon from confluence right. on your way to the big city of Hood River. 
Big, we hired uh, Nicole Mansfield. That's exciting. What's she going to be from doing? Hammer Factor fame. You may know, you may know her from uh, Hammer Factor. Yep, some issues. Some maybe, episodes. Maybe from the Gap Outlet. <laughs> What's she going to be doing with you guys? She she's product management design. I mean, she's obviously a phenomenal woman boater. So having her work on our, our women's gear and really help us improve that segment. It's going to be awesome. I don't want to make this an IR ad, you know, obviously, but it is exciting for sure. I mean, it, I mean, our office is kind of a sausage fest, so it's great to finally break that up a bit, you know? <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. I can't, I, you're going to have to send me some pictures of the space that you're putting in. Did you say it was like 4,000 square feet? Yeah, it's a big one. It's formerly the moth lounge, formerly the pint shack. Now, formerly a theater. Formerly before that, it was a. I learned today it was a uh, garage, like a like a Ford dealership in the sixties. Hmm. I can see that. Which I, yeah, I can see it too. Now it, that it, it, revealed. it could be haunted. Places like could that be. are sometimes haunted. So, can we Anywho. just talk about the price of everything for just one second? No. I mean. Green Race been doing this for, I've been doing it for 16 years organizing. So you have pretty clear idea of all the numbers you got to call, the people you got to bring in. You know, it's, it's, you check the list. You know, you go through the list and do the things. Porta potties this year, over $2,000 in porta potties for the event. Just three years ago, that was less than $1,000. That's surprising. I would have guessed like demand for that would be down with the pandemic. It's not demand, it's the labor. It's just the people to, to do all this stuff. Yeah. I, I'm guessing, right? I think it, a lot of it is demand because a lot of people are building new houses and things like that. Every mm. job site's got to have a porta potty. But I don't know. I'm just blown away. I mean, are you seeing this weld? Are you kidding? Yeah, a container. I mean, this is just one aspect of it. But a container of spray skirts used to be $3,000. Uh, it's now twelve, twelve thousand $12,000 for mm. container skirts. So, and that's just one aspect of it. And the other thing is, and to be clear, you're talking about the container, not the skirt. Yeah, the, right? sh- the shipping. Cost, <laughs> so just the shipping. Cost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, another thing we're all going to see because we're seeing it. I know everyone. I know you know everyone I talk to is seeing the same thing. I mean, when you when you make a product like any product, but let's just talk outdoor gear. You know, you from year to year you fix things, right? You're like, oh, this is a new way to make this material. It's gonna be better to fix these known issues or whatever. But there is not, a, you just can't, you just can't do that anymore. Like we're trying to get a new yarn for some of our dry wear that it's not available for a, at least another year. Right. So that's crazy. You're going to see high prices and you're going to see a lot of compromises being made in terms of selection of gear. And you're going to see a lot of repetition in terms of styles and, and product. I mean, it's just it, the, 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 the supply chain right now are pretty far reaching. In ways you may not expect, for sure. Man, I'll tell you, there's a lot of pissed off paddlers around here right now. I mean, people rip their spray skirts, they can't get a new one, break their paddles, no way to get a paddle. Mm-hmm. I'll tell yep. you something interesting, though. You know how in the movie, God, I, I don't want to give away too much of the movie. I'm, I'm going to mess this up. But you know how in the movie, and just even back in the early days of all of us paddling, you had to repair your gear a lot? You had to make your gear. Well, not, yeah, yeah. I made my first spray skirt. It was a Wallbridge kit. Exactly. And so you had to, you know, but now 
because of this supply chain shortage and everything you were just talking about, people are like building little presses to fix their paddles and refiberglass them up. Everybody's learning to sew spray skirts back together and whatnot. It's kind of interesting. Maybe it's all for the best, man. Everybody can just chill out on the <laughs> consumerism and fix their shit and get paid more. And like, maybe it's, for the best. it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you guys think uh, I don't think anyone's can predict where that's going to end up. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I just can't believe how steep it is over the past three years. I mean, it's just like it's, it's nuts. You guys think Dane's going to break four minutes? What's the water situation? Water situation's good. It's going to be a good level to do it. And yes, this is the year. Yeah, I would say yeah. I'd put money on that. Anyone want some action on that? What do you think, Liz? I don't know. I mean, if it's the right water level, yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, he's done it in practice, eh? Give me some odds. <clears throat> Man, let's see. I'm not an odds maker. I don't know. Minus 180. Okay, so you're gonna so you're going in weld, he is gonna do it. You're also yeah. saying he is gonna do it, Lewis. Right? Yeah, something like that. Okay, so then <laughs> I'll have to go on the other side and say he can't do it because we got no nothing to wager against here if we're not gonna do it. So let's each put twenty bucks in. Alright. And I mean the odds have gotta be five to one he's gonna do it. No, not that no. good. No, no, no. What do you I'd think? say? Better, better than fifty-fifty, but yeah, I, I, I'm with Lewis I call it minus one eighty on the money line. Okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Time will tell. Um, uh, what's tell us about the live stream situation? What uh, are we gonna be able to watch this thing? We are. We're gonna be able to watch it. There's gonna be two more cameras in there. We're gonna be able to see the finish line this year. Am I? Um, Am I like misremembering that it was kind of like like a little little low quality like last year, or am I making that up? What do you mean low quality? Like a little pixelated. Um, if it's pixelated, it's going to be on your end because we're going to have a high definition 1080 60 frames per second signal going up to the end. And you can cool because like, did you do it with the satellite last year, or did you do it with something else? No, we did it with we did it connected into a house. It's gonna be the signal's gonna be really good. Cause the North Fork was pretty sick, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And we used the uh we used uh oh god, what's that? Starlink. We used Starlink for that upload. But that's not what you're doing this time. No, we're gonna be on fiber. We're gonna be plugged cool. into fiber at the top of the mountain. So No, it'll be good. There's it's just gonna be more complicated. There's gonna be you know, two extra cameras. You'll see the show. We're going to, I don't know if you remember looking last year, if you remember this, but the way it is with the one minute interval, you could really only get that period from go left kind of through the first set of slides before the next racer came in to go left. Do you mm. remember that? So this year yeah. we're going to start the top 20 in two minute intervals. So you'll Sick. be able to see each one of their complete runs and we'll have a, a split time. Um, that comes in so but not the finish time because you guys are saving that for the party we'll saving that for the party but it's almost impossible to do that so because they can't get a signal out of the gorge with their system 
unless somehow we built like some internal Wi-Fi uh, wi system in the gorge. Anyway, we don't have the money to do that, but it's going to be good. It's going to be extra cameras, extra stuff. Um, What's the date? November 6th, Saturday, November 6th. We got some interesting... chilly. Are you really? Yeah, that chilly that, that day. That's the day we land. Well, they got internet down there. You can watch it. I'm gonna have, I have other projects in mind besides watching the Green Race. Um, interesting storyline. So Dane, obviously a big storyline. I don't see anybody, unless Dane really messes up, anybody challenging him for that position. But we're going to have definitely the most competitive women's class we've ever had. I think we're going to have like 18 women this year, which is really huge. And the juniors class, it just blows me away. I mean, there are a lot of really fast. I mean, I'm going to get beat by a couple of teenagers this year. It's going to, it's going to hurt. <laughs> but no, it's going to be a good race. I'm, I'm stoked. I am. Uh, I'm definitely full on into kayaking season right now. So that's always a good time for me. Sick. How's your elbow? It's like ninety percent. It's way better. You know, I would call it 40 to 50% last year, and it's like Sick. 90%. And I think I can kayak two days in a row now. I couldn't even kayak two days in a row last year, so I'm totally happy with it. I'm, it's whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay a time down. We'll see what happens. I'm going to beat Hale. Sick. I'm going to beat Hilke. I'm going to beat some people. So. Um, <laughs> Lewis rolled me up here on a – Let's hear about some policy front issues. Oh, dude. Have you guys been paying much attention to like all the, the reconciliation and infrastructure conversation? Well, last I heard was Manchin pretty much put all the carbon tax and utility waste regulations and threw all that under the bus. Is that part of what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's all part of the conversation, right? It's like the, the Senate passed this bipartisan infrastructure bill that's really just focused on like bridges and roads i, I want to say like the beginning of august might have even been back in july but the house is sort of holding off on that as some leverage to pass this bigger package that's like you know all the things that biden campaigned on more or less and i don't know i guess it's been to me it's been like a bit exasperating like just like paying attention to the news coverage of it and listening to like even you know biden talk about it because it's just like everything is about Everything you hear is just like, oh, is it like three and a half trillion or is it two trillion or like what's Joe Manson going to do or what's Kristen Sinema going to do? And like there's like no real conversation about like the specifics of like what's in this thing. Like it seems insane to me that Biden is not just like selling the shit out of, you know, all the stuff that's in this bill because it's like it's a lot of stuff that matters to people. And like honestly, like I don't even know outside of the stuff that's relevant to us, but like there's like a huge amount of stuff in here. Like there's this uh, civilian climate core that's, you know, basically like a new revamped version of the CCC that like built all this like public lands infrastructure back in the thirties. There's like a huge amount of money for fire mitigation and like basically every budget line that we like ed ever advocate for, for the forest service is getting like a huge plus up. There's a bunch of, um, you know, protections for these landscapes because this place Oak Flat down in Arizona that's this like super important um, indigenous cultural area and also has a ton of climbing that basically got sold at the behest of John McCain for a copper mine and they're going to, you know, potentially reverse that through this bill. It's like withdrawing all the um, 
like lease sales in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, like hard rock mining and fossil fuel reform. It's like just so much money for so many good things. There's money for stream gauges in there, just like keeping all the USGS gauges online, which is like, that'd be nice. <laughs> um, anyway, it's like, it's a big deal. There's a ton of stuff in here. And, you know, I think the complication of all of it is like really like the most important thing that they need to do is to go big on climate right now because like the last chance that we had to do anything big on climate was like the first two years of the Obama administration and we missed it. And like, we just can't punt this for another 12 years. Like it's just too urgent. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, whether they find something that's meaningful on the climate front, I mean, there's a lot of things in there that are going to contribute to climate change for sure. But like the big thing is this clean electricity performance plan that it seems like Manchin has nixed, um, but it seems like we're working right now to try to find something that would be like the Manchin more amenable to. So I guess, honestly, like, you know, I think just given, you know, how much of the focus has been on the politics and how much focus is on like, the top line number people are able to write to their members of Congress right now and just be like, you know, like, please go big on climate change. And I'm really pumped about all the public land stuff that's in here. I think it's, it would be a meaningful contribution right now. You know, I think there's a lot of Democrats that are sort of, you know, worried about spending all this money in the face of inflation or just, you know, people murmuring, mumbling about the deficit. And it's like, this is just, this is our, last big opportunity maybe to like do something really big on climate and like they just like need to hear it from constituents right now so i don't know I try not to yeah i mean please like go out to or check it out there's make it real easy for you to write to your congress creditors like please do it you make a good point about not bragging about the parts that are in the bill you know it's really i mean there's headlines about the negotiation and like you talk about with like a few different senators, but you don't ever really hear exactly what you're getting, like what, you know, what the stickler thing. Totally. Are. So. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, they just need to be doing a better job of selling this thing. But anyway, like from our perspective, there's a lot of stuff in there to like, and like the thing about mansion is like, you know, like it's like, if you think of him and you're like, uh, like the alternative to mansion is like, AOC or something it's like yeah you're gonna be frustrated but if you you know like the thing about Manchin is like like just think of him as like a more reasonable than normal Republican and you'll be a lot happier you know like right. Trump won West Virginia by like 20 points like you know we could we could do a lot worse and yeah I mean it's super frustrating the climate stuff like I'm not saying I'm not frustrated but I don't know. I feel like I reckon we probably have a fair number of listeners in West Virginia and like your, you know, your opinion on this matters more than anybody. So like, if you do live in West Virginia, write Joe Manchin, tell him what you care about, you know, man, I'd like to be a fly on the wall with some of those conversations going on around the Hill right now. I mean, do you get little bits of information trickled to you from the inside Lewis about, yeah, I feel like less when it's like this sort of really high level, super under the spotlight kind of negotiation. 
you know, like, yes, for sure, I hear stuff, but I never know how much, like, credence to give it. And, you know, I feel like, I feel like nobody knows anything right now. And it's like, like, everything is still up in the air. But I do think that they will ultimately pass some version of this. It's just how big and what's in it, you know? And, like, I think we have an opportunity right now. It's like, I mean, that's the other thing that's important to think about right now is, like, they have this bill and it's really good, and, but they're like, okay, we got to make this like half the size, like what's going to stay in and what's going to go and like making sure that the stuff we care about, like for, you know, public lands and waters, like that's not what gets left on the cutting room floor. Like that's going to get decided based on, you know, in part at least on like what members of Congress are hearing from their constituents right now. So. Hmm. Interesting. Well, fingers crossed. I don't know. I read I read an article that made it sound like some of that stuff was kind of on the chopping block. Yeah. So I mean, I think a lot of the public land stuff. I mean, everything I've heard is that like I haven't heard anything like to like totally freak me out about it. But I mean, I think the big climate stuff, like the clean electricity performance plan, you know, it seems like that's probably dead. But they need to come up with something else that's going to make a meaningful difference in terms of like electricity emissions man yeah go to outdooralliance.org make your voice heard you guys are doing good work did you ever uh get a new employee lewis did you get still working on it still working on it am i still in the running or have i been cut we can talk about it you're applying well I mean, I saw the I saw the benefits package, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll do that. Whatever." <laughs> do we have a Hammer Factor listener in the running? Uh, we do. Yes. All right. Do we have a paddle uh, feather? I length? I got a, a really nice cover note that referenced paddle length and offset and a PS to the cover letter. Okay. So I was like, all right. Okay. That's going to move you up somewhere for sure. Seriously. Right. For sure. And it was, it was over 200. Yeah. Several hundred. Dude. And this is how I know we're right about this paddle length thing. Because. Oh, I thought you meant the number of applicants. (laughs) No. (laughs) But here's the thing is like, if you're like five, seven, like you don't need to be using a 200. It's like, we throw this around. Like it's like the hard and fast rule it's like if you're six feet tall you should definitely have a 200 but like <laughs> if you're five if you're six feet you should be like 203 or something no right oh please. are you serious Jeez. i mean i'm i'm six two Christ. when i use a 203 okay i'll tell you how i know that i'm right on this 200 or longer thing go you tell them yeah i'm with because you i got your back a couple weeks ago i was mm-hmm. running shuttle with someone on the river mm-hmm. And I had my surge, yep. and someone else had a surge, yep. and our paddles got swapped. I didn't realize it until like two weeks later, and I put up the Odachi, went out to the green, and pulled out this surge and got on the water, and the thing felt like a toy. So I started texting Ranch. everybody that I was with. A toy Geltman. Exactly. Everybody I was with the whole time, I'm like, somebody's got my paddle. Who's got a surge? Could not trace it back to who it was either. But what I think 
is someone knows that they've got my paddle and they're like, I'm so glad I got rid of that thing. This thing Seriously. is a real They're paddle. laying treats. So they're someone's out there just laying treats with That's my right. 203 Surge right now. And I'm stuck with this little wanker stick. And <laughs> it's just not a good thing. It's not a, not a good thing. So I'm going to sell it. Anybody in the market for a 190 whatever, doesn't really matter what it is. It's short. Surge, hit me up. Straight shaft, 30 degree. It was going over retail yet? <laughs> I'm sure it will be. It's an appreciating <laughs> asset. <laughs> right. uh, anyway, um, uh, we digress. Okay, should we talk about this movie? Because we're about four minutes from getting our guests on here. Um, Do you figure out, figure out where this movie is, how people can see this movie, or when it's going to be available? Like, what's yes, the vehicle? Because I. The link that you guys that they sent us expired, and I just paid for it on Amazon. It was the best three dollars and fifty cents I've ever spent in my life. It was, is that where it is? Amazon? It's on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. You can get it through yeah, like I, Vimeo like Direct honestly, and whatever. Just pause right now and just watch this movie. Like seriously, get get your family together, your kids, whatever. It's a movie everyone will enjoy, right? Totally. And it's phenomenal. And if you love kayaking, you love adventure. It, it doesn't get any better than this. Seriously. It's very seldom that we all three, a hundred percent agree. And we all three were like blown away by this film. So take it from your hammer factor host there. I watched Dune this week too. That was, uh, it, it had absolutely nothing on Godspeed Los Palacos. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just do a Google search for Godspeed Los Palacos Buy the movie. It's awesome. It's really good. And we're going to talk about it here in a little bit. I've probably already said too much about it. Um, but what I want to do real quick is just kind of read the summary of the film here. Um, or part of it. Uh, Godspeed Los Polacos tells the story of five kayakers on the edge of adulthood who skillfully pull the strings of the Soviet system and find themselves on an expedition in the Americas with a six-wheeled military truck homemade equipment, and little to no whitewater skills. The story follows their epic two-year journey that culminates in the record-breaking first descent of the world's deepest canyon and finds the kayakers in Soviet crosshairs after they leverage their newfound fame to fight for democracy in the Eastern Bloc. Um, all right. I'm going to let you guys... you guys have the show here while I try and get our guys here. Well, have you run the Kolka? Um, No. I have not. Have you, Chris? No, I have not either. I've never been kayaking like, in Peru. It seems like something that would have been on the short list, but I'm not sure why we. It's definitely still a classic. I mean, I guess when I was down there, we were there kind of. The main thing was the Abismo, which I think you yeah. want you want quite low water for, and I think the Colca. I think you want a little bit. It's like a little bit different season. The footage looked great. I mean, the river looked, looked, looked a lot of fun back in the 70s. <laughs> it's pretty harrowing back in the 70s. It'd be a lot yeah. of fun now, I think. <laughs> like a homemade fiberglass, 13-foot fiberglass boat, yeah. Oh, man. How'd Darby like uh, Austria? Oh, yeah, we should have got her on to give us the report. She's down at Russia's editing something. Um, I think it was cool. It sounded like the organization had some some hiccups, but 
Um, yeah, get I think. We talk about this after the. Okay. Howdy. I think hey. we have Adam here. Can you see us, Adam? That's me. I can. Okay. Let me see if I can get. Hey, hey we got. We uh, got everybody. Okay. All right, well, I'm going to butcher your names really quick. I'm going to do my best here. Um, <laughs> welcome to the show, um, Piotr Smiliski. Oh, that was horrible. Very close. Very close. Uh, yeah, good Very try. Close. And uh, welcome to the show, Adam Navrat. How was that, Adam? That was pretty good. <laughs> okay. All right. There we go. So anyway, I called these guys earlier to try and figure out how to tell how to uh, do my best to not butcher their names completely, but I think I just did anyway. Um, yeah, guys, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. So excited to be here. Um, you're excited. I feel completely starstruck, to be honest. <laughs> uh, John and yeah. John. And uh, we have John uh, Grace, Louise Gatesmar, <laughs> and, and John Weld. So I butchered now your name. Just Whatever. Perfect. <laughs> thank, you. thank you for inviting us. Of course. Jeez. No, great to have you. And uh, Adam, I want to start off by saying great job on the film. Um, thank all, you so much. All three of us 100% agreed. And... Uh, um, it is an amazing film, and we think everybody should go out and get it right now. Um, yeah, right. where can, just where can you, where is the movie distributed? Where, where can we find it? So it's available on Amazon, iTunes, uh, Vimeo On Demand, all the kind of on-demand streaming services out there. Okay. I want to say it again just so you guys know how we're plugging this. I would recommend this to literally anybody who likes kayaking and a great adventure story. It was honestly one of the best movies I've seen in, in years. Um, and my and kids like, loved it, and I loved it. It was just awesome. And just Everything. like anybody, I mean, you don't even have to love kayaking to just find this movie totally inspiring. I think, like, just it's, amazing. Yeah. Uh, John, uh, John, you said uh, your kids even like it. So yeah. <laughs> what are, what is it? What are the ages of your uh, kids? Thirteen and sixteen. All right. All right. Yeah. I I needed to check because if they were three and four, I will not uh, believe you. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> no, no, they loved it. And yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I want to get on with the story here, but it's, I could not recommend it more highly. So Adam, I'm going to throw it over to you real quick. Um, just kind of tell us where the idea came from uh, for this film and how it all came together. Sure. So, uh, my parents emigrated to the United States from Poland in the late 80s, uh, and they landed in New Jersey, where one of the uh, five expedition members ended up uh, after the expedition was said and done. Uh, and so the Polish community here in New Jersey uh, is, you know, relatively tight-knit in certain aspects, especially if you had a, an adventurous persuasion. And so uh, my dad was a climber and a sailor, and uh, he met Jurek, who was one of the kayakers on this expedition. And so I grew up kind of knowing that about this infamous character who went on this like crazy adventure. I didn't really understand all the parts and the pieces that are anything of how it like fit together. Um, but as I grew up, I got into filmmaking and, you know, I love adventure movies, exploration movies, kayaking movies. But like, you know, I was, I was just always kind of tired of hearing the same old story. You know, they went up on the mountain. It was cold. It was hard. They lost a the finger. They came back. Uh 
And so when I was racking my brain about like a, a good story to tell, I kept coming back to this one. I was always curious about it. And so I would approach Yurek about it. I'd be like, hey, you know, we should sit down and shoot an interview. But you got to understand that he only remembered me as this like little kid who would run around his backyard during barbecues and stuff. And he's like, you don't make movies. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like, and, you know, and so we would we like over the like years, I, I would come back to him and ask him, like, like let's do an interview. Let's tell a story. And he was super protective of it because it's all archival materials that were like, you know, this is fragile stuff. It's like 16 millimeter film. It's archival photos and stuff. It's like precariously stored away in his basement. He wasn't just going to open his archives to anyone. But finally, we got him to sit down after about like four years of like begging him to do so. And, you know, we approached this project thinking that we were going to make a cool like 20 minute thing that was sort of like Valley Uprising, but for Whitewater. Uh, and it would take a few months and we'd be done and we'd move on with our lives. And we were totally petrified when we realized that we were telling a feature length story, that this was this story was so much bigger and so much crazier than anything that we even thought it was going to be. And so to that extent, I think that Yurek maybe was right. <laughs> All the times that he said, nah, you guys aren't ready for this. <laughs> and yeah, you pulled it together. I mean, you did, the, you did the story justice for sure. I mean, how did you... I mean, was this your? I mean, your first feature-length film that that, yeah. you, that you did? This is our definitely yeah, our first feature, and and it was uh, horrifying. I mean, if, if you had asked me, because I've been I'm I've been into filmmaking for like my entire life, um, but I always kind of thought about it in like, uh, you know, small commercial projects, small documentaries and stuff. And you'd ask me if you had asked me what hell looks like, I would tell you it looks like editing a feature-length documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would maintain that answer. It is such a brutal amount of work. Uh, and we really wrestled with that uh, through making this film, but I think we came out on the other side. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was hellacious. But um, what we really loved about this story is the fact that uh, it's a group of like would-be starry-eyed kayakers who against all odds managed to pull off what is must be one of the best and grandest adventure stories of all time uh, through sheer tenacity and just scrappiness. And I think that we really pulled off the film in a very similar style. Man. <laughs> so, John, uh, you ask uh, about uh, Adam. When I saw Adam for the first time, he came to the office I am sitting now with Sonia. And again, we didn't see any background. We didn't see too much of the record. And what brought the rest of us to, the, to cooperate and work on it, their enthusiasm. Uh, Sonia and Adam, they were so enthusiastically taken by the story that we saw in them what we were in our uh, 20s and 30s. And when I spoke with the rest of the group, uh, we said to ourselves, what are we losing? We wanted to make sure that, that there will, will not be a Polish joke making that movie, uh, that that will not be something what we'll, we will be regretting. But in the same time, uh, that was opportunity to show what we had with the archive materials we uh, had in our in our in our basement like Jurek had, but Jacek, who was a, a filmmaker, uh, not even filmmaker, cameraman, 
and Zbigniew, who uh, took majority of the pictures. And uh, everything was available to Sonia or provided to Sonia and Adam in the same time how I saw it first shots or first screenings. They dig over those three, four years from the archives some material which we never saw it uh, because we didn't uh, did not return to Poland. So they were picking up, uh, taking out from the archives some shots we never saw ourselves. The same when they went to Peru and even in the United States. So that was a shocking uh, revelation for us to see what we never had opportunity to see before. And that's a big, a uh, big uh, uh, work uh, Adam and Sonia, Sonia and Adam did, and we were glad that uh, all that worked. And we will not talk with you if uh, they didn't resurrect the story. So thank you very That's much, Adam and Sonia. One of the most remarkable things about the movie is how much footage, you know, how much how much source material you have. I mean, how many hours of film and how many still pictures did you wade through to put this together? Because it looks like there was Tons. just a, a treasure trove. And, and so. John, I, Adam, sorry. If we had all the materials, there would be a lot more. We, what Adam found from the uh, film material was only small percentage because rest was lost. And Adam, you can probably explain what what happened. Right. So throughout the expedition, uh, sending back footage and photos to Poland uh, to be developed and turned into, uh, you know, stuff that, uh, you know, they could share their expedition with. But when uh, martial law breaks out uh, and all the political turmoil in the movie really picks up, um, they lose their, their uh, you know, Polish documents, uh, nationality, essentially, and all that footage is destroyed. So there's tons of portions that are just missing. So um, I think that they throughout the entire expedition had a very strong consciousness of the fact that if they didn't take photos and didn't make videos, their expedition would it just, it, does, it didn't matter, right? Uh, so they had a very uh, strong concept of that and they were taking photos all the time, which, which really led us to have a lot of good source material to work with. So you spent four years on this project, Adam. Yeah, yeah. And again, now, we're, now we're really scared. Every time everyone asks us, like, what's our next project? I'm like, dude, man, that takes like four years. <laughs> and here's like the real like crux of the whole thing is that I'm like, make, I was like, I'm like in my late 20s and I was sitting in front of a computer for four years making a movie about these guys who are the exact same age as me going on the, like the most epic adventure ever. Uh, that's going to be told 40 years down the line while I'm just wasting away behind this computer. So now I'm like, oh, my God, now I'm, I'm pretty scared of archival documentary now. <laughs> without I mean, without giving too much away, what's the narrative? Arc, I mean, what's the story? Like, how can right. we, how can uh, we uh, hook people onto this? Sure. Uh, so our little log line is that it's it's the, the lost story of the world's greatest road trip. But in a nutshell, uh, these group of starry eyed kayakers, um, Kayakers is a generous way to put it. These guys have paddled some flat water uh, in Poland, and they have this club at their university where they organize these events. And you got to understand that Poland in this era in the late 70s is uh, behind the Iron Curtain. So there's mandatory uh, participation for students to be on these communist parades and rallies. And so they're, they're, they're like, OK, yeah, we'll go on a rally, but we'll do a kayak rally. And so they're like figuring out these ways 
to exist in this, this Soviet system that retains some of their humanity and um, whatever the case is, they figure it out. They realize that they love whitewater kayaking, even though there's only like one class three rapid in all of Poland. It is flat out there. Uh, but they're like, we're going to travel the world. And they saw this as this ticket to, for them to, to leave. But, they, it, but leaving Poland at the time is, is virtually impossible. Um, but they realize and they know that the one thing that the Soviets need more than anything else is good PR. They want to show that their system, their economic system and everything is working. So they and one of the ways that they can show this off is by athletic achievement. And so they become the best kayakers in Poland and they spin this yarn into uh, allowing the, uh, the system to uh, give them leave to, to travel the Americas um, and to, you know, get all these whitewater achievements and make the Soviets look good. Um, and what ensues after that is, <laughs> is a tremendous uh, tale there. So uh, I, I would like to correct here. Well, <laughs> Soviets were Soviets uh, uh, farther away to the east from the from our country, from Poland. We were dealing with Polish communist government and uh, all arrangements which were there. So just a little bit of the correction. We are talking about Poland. Which was under the political domination of Soviet Union, but in the same time there was identity of Poland, Poles, and uh, we were we were dealing with our own issues there. Right. One one of the things that uh, one of the observations I made was that this was a story more. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it was about a group of guys looking for adventure and exploration, and the kayaking was almost incidental, at least to begin with. Um, you yeah. know, it was, it's really a story about exploring places that I've never been seen before. And the kayak just happened to be the best way to do it. But it wasn't like you guys loved kayaking or maybe you did. I'm, I'm not sure. But maybe over the couple of years, you started to really feel differently about that. Uh, John, uh, there is a half true in that uh, assessment. A kayak club and the life with a club. And I am not talking about only kayak club. There were uh, alpinistic clubs, uh, people who were caving, uh, doing the exploration caves. All that activity gave us additional opportunity to meet other people, be a little bit more independent, and enjoy life as much as could be enjoyed in that uh, situation we found ourselves. So kayaking this the, the, of course, was a way to use a tool for us to open the door. So first, when we got with kayaks to the Czechoslovakia at the time, then to Rom Rom Romania, uh, Yugoslavia, which was for us almost uh, west, mm. uh, we realized that that door, uh, we could push it be more and open. So kayaking, kayaking expeditions, activities related to that type of uh, uh, adventure was a tool we used, but we love to take those, those kayaks and we made them ourselves. Uh, there was not too much we could buy. And uh, so that was uh, ambient activities. First, uh, there was maybe eight, 14 of us who set up a club in a university town, Krakow, where there are probably 200,000 uh, students. And uh, that club, which uh, was at the beginning, a, a club which in translation is rapid, 
after a few years, we could get for the uh, weekend uh, trips, 400, 500 people. That's so, amazing. So wow. at the end of our university time, which was 78, 79, we could take uh, that many for the trips. And so we organized trips to uh, flood water of the north, to white waters of Polish white water uh, in the south. And we could take a few thousand people and uh, uh, introduce them to kayaking. If that was white water or uh, it be more than white water, uh, 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 white water doesn't matter. Uh, this population grew, and until now, uh, kayaking is a big adventure type of activities. I am not saying that we set it up. Poland, Germany, Central Europe, very active in kayaking. But uh, in the students' population, I think in the South, we introduced a lot of people to that type of activities. And without kayaking, without the University of Mining and Metallurgy, where I was a student and majority of the people who went for Canaan, the 79 expedition, majority were from there. Without those two organizations in some way, we will never get out of Poland and organize uh, trip to Argentina. Can you imagine uh, if somebody will say now in North Korea and uh, students will like to go to Argentina kayaking, <laughs> they will they will just put them in the north to some camps, <laughs> uh, gulag camps. In Poland it was a little bit different. We could, we find, we found that we can, as Adam said, we can use government for political reasons from their side and for our advantage to just even throw a name Argentina and let's let's try. We we were so uh, un, uh, we we in some way did not believe that that was impossible, even that was impossibility at the first. So that's where we are. We are talking with you because we <laughs> we were so innocent in this perception that we. We made it through, uh, and uh, and then Sonia and Adam found us. <laughs> so you guys, so out of this group that decided to go on this expedition, how many of you could roll a kayak at this time? There were probably three of us who, <laughs> who, who could roll, but what, uh, we we had five kayakers who left at the at the at the beginning, uh, but our role was mostly that. We call that check uh, type of role where you where you support yourself of the paddle, lift, and John, John, and uh, Luis. I will ask you to get to the kayak without supporting supporting the front with a kayak where if you flip and do a wet exit, you come out with your seat uh, <laughs> for you to make that roll. <laughs> I will be surprised if any one of you will do it in the first shot. So we were we were we were definitely not uh, ready for the big white water rivers of uh, Central North America, but uh, we 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 believe that we could we can learn 
And uh, that's, uh, yeah, answering to your question, there was only three of us with a basic Eskimo role, and that was it. So this begs the question, what is, there's something fundamentally different about the Polish adventurer than the American adventurer. And you see the same thing occur in some extent in like, uh, like the Good Day to Die, the, the Brothers and the Boschkos in Russia. There's just a, a go for broke mentality that seems different. And it's somehow at the same time celebrated and beloved in the U.S. I've heard a, a countless stories about kayakers going to Eastern Europe and just being blown away by by the mentality of the, the paddlers there. I mean, do you, am I onto something here with this or is there, is there a difference? I'm gonna... I'm going to hop in real quick uh, before uh, Phil takes it away. Uh, one of our original fascinations with this story uh, was that it so closely mirrors what's going on in the Himalaya at the time. Uh, if you look at winter first ascents of all 8,000 meter peaks, it's insane. It's Polish flags down the entire line. And we were just like, how is that possible? It's all from the same era. How are like, these are like, these are the like the, the the top of the explorers like com worldwide explorers communities goals is like like Himalayan uh, ascents and it's all coming out of this little country that hardly has any mountains and is under uh, you know behind the Iron Curtain uh, and like what's going on there and so that this movie for a large part was it was investigating that and and trying to figure out what 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 was happening there and. The Kanawanda story in the first ascent of the Colca Canyon is a parallel to what's going on in the Himalaya, uh, but is a lesser known one. And it has a whitewater interest, which for me, at least, was pretty cool. <laughs> for sure. And uh, I feel like what's so com what's part of what's so compelling about the movie to me is like it's like you're you guys are doing these things like is, I don't know. I think the, the the comparison to mountaineering is apt because it's like the things like you have to be so hard to do these things. But like the spirit that comes through from you all in the movie, like it's not like we're a bunch of tough guys, like weathering the gnarliest things. It's just like joy of exploration in a lot of ways, you know, like it's just like it feels so much more relatable than than that. Like we're here to conquer mentality in a way. Or, I don't know. It, it just really spoke to me. Hey, when the Adam mentioned mountaineering and Himalayan uh, the first descents and so on. Uh, because Poland was closed for almost 40, 50 years, uh, that opportunity to do something in the, in the, in the Himalayan uh, was only to do in the, month, in the winter because everything else was done. So uh, that's what, uh, what uh, uh, people like Wilitski or Chiche, who stepped on the Mount Everest for the first time in 1981, I believe, uh, that was that. That's what they did. In our case, I don't think we were looking for the kind of records. We didn't even when we were living, we were uh, getting out of Poland. We had few goals, and our goal was to get to Argentina, uh, kayak few rivers. If there are some rivers which were never run before, ah, uh, they will be beautiful. But let's go and see the world. Uh, so after those successes with Czechoslovakia, with Romania, with Yugoslavia, uh, we just uh, tasted that cake, uh, Lidby, and we wanted to eat all. That, that's nothing, <laughs> that's nothing, nothing more. And 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 and. Uh, I think some people lost this desire to open the door. We had door closed, 
there was a little bit of the opening and we just pushed and got out. And again, in the movie, it's described more like we wanted to get out of Poland. At the beginning, that was more to see the world, check what is there, and we were planning to go back uh, because that was our 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 country. That was our we had families. Some uh, had some engagements. Uh, we left for six uh, months. Uh, we some of our friends and even girlfriends for seven eight years. So uh, that desire to see, uh, to experience was there very strong in in all of us and we had not only kayakers but we had photographer photographer and uh, and uh, uh, cameraman uh, at the beginning we did not realize that without them again nobody will even hear anything about us there will be no national geographic stories there will be no books there will be no film uh, if we didn't have Jacek and Zbigniew with us so that was essential. And of course, if we didn't get help on the way, first in Poland, because all club, 400 some people, was helping us to get 10 people out without a huge help from the club, from the, all the students' uh, groups, uh, we will never get out. Then what we found and that was difficult to realize during the process, during the trip, that our enthusiasm and our goal to accomplish what we said to accomplish, get to Argentina and kayak some rivers in Argentina, was very appealing to many people we met on the way. And that helped us to do it, that even after three years, it took three years, without too much money we made it and uh, and that's that's having that goal as always you you are all uh, as i look at your records uh, great kayakers you probably participated in many expeditions if you have more than two people on the expedition there are always issues there are always problems uh, you after a few days you believe hey why i am there anyway uh, and how I can survive with two months, not talking about three years. <laughs> but one thing would happen in our group, we had this one goal, get to that somehow imaginary Argentina. And that kept us moving, running and rolling, and, uh, and, 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 and we made it at that time. And after that, we made a few other rivers. Uh, we got rid of the recognition that helped us to, to do a few more things. And if few kayakers uh, got, or few people got to kayaking because of our activities and our example, that's all beautiful. And that's, that's probably the most what we can be proud of. Let me ask you this. If you, if you guys knew when you were getting ready to leave Poland that you could not return, would you have still went on the trip? Uh, normally, you, I will say, never, never answer a question which is just rhetorical. But, <laughs> but uh, I believe for all of us that was a that was a beautiful story, a beautiful adventure. So uh, definitely, I will do it. 
and uh, all together turn quite well. Uh, we have kind of realization of the dream. So you always need to follow your dreams and do it. Mm. <clears throat> so we, you, um, go ahead. Go ahead, John. Do you think it was? And cut me off here, Adam, if I'm talking too much about the movie. But <laughs> yeah. one of the things I, I really liked was just no matter where you went, you guys kind of found a tribe. And all of a sudden, everybody was chipping in to help you, you know, achieve this goal of going to Argentina at the time, which shifted to paddling the Colca River for various reasons that are all in the film you, you got to watch. But was it your enthusiasm? Was it your sincerity? Like, what do you think caused people to gravitate around you and want to want to kind of help you guys along the way? Uh, so, if that's question to me, uh, I already probably said said something before. We did not realize that, but yourself, John, John, and Luis. You have a dream, and you probably accomplish many of those dreams yourself. There are many people who, just by circumstances, uh, they got, got to just do interesting but maybe not exciting jobs, and you f find uh, just young, crazy, with a goal people and they are even they even can sing they can pull you in they can take you for some rafting or kayaking trips how you will not uh just get together so in some way they dreams were or could be realized with our goals and that's what kept us from officials in the government to the just very simple people who help us at the gas station or somebody who helped us because our three tires broke in one time. And, uh, and so I think we, as probably many others, adventurers who believe in what they are doing, we were, we were one of the avenue to help other people to accomplish their own dreams. They will never make it. And, uh, I, I believe that's one of the of the of the successes of ours that we could convince those who we met that with us they can in some way accomplish their own dreams. I don't know if that's a good answer here, but I am believing that that's that's what happens over over the not only those three years but over our life until now. I think that what they lacked in equipment and skills, they made up for in copious amounts of charisma. Uh, and that's very much the thing that pulls them through the entire uh, three years there. We, um, my first experience with you guys, believe it or not, in an in inadvertent way was I, we were, I started kayaking in Mexico in the late 80s. And we went down to like Veracruz and, and uh, Palcrotombo or um, Halcomulco. And a couple of this, yeah. And we thought, you know, this is the 80s. There's no internet or no way of knowing what people have done. And we go to a river, we'd be like, oh, we got a first ascent. They're like, no. 
these Polish guys were here a few years ago and they ran it first. Should we go somewhere else and be like, no, no, these Polish guys as rappers, they're like, God damn it. <laughs> so, so which which rivers are you talking about? We uh, did let's see. We did the uh the um What's the river that goes to Pacatum with the Pescados? And then I think you guys were in the Santa Maria. Was that right? With Santa the big Maria, waterfall that came correct, in, correct. which was a, a wonderful river. Um, Pescados. Uh, yeah, the Pescados is a, a smaller, easier one. You guys, saw, you guys ran the Santa Maria. And what year do you think that was? Do you remember? It was We tried first in '79 in yeah. the fall, but uh, we could not accomplish that. Did you so, get to the waterfall coming in? And no, you, no, no, we couldn't. Uh, so uh, at the time, uh, we had to change our plans. We were on the way to Santa Maria. We got yeah. there. We had some issues and problems, not even on the water. But then uh, on the return from United States yeah. with a raft, we had yeah. uh, previously we didn't have rafts. So we were a little bit afraid to go to the canyons and not to have any basic resupply possibilities. So when we bought in Los Angeles a, a raft, uh, that's where we did uh, kayaking and rafting at the uh, end of the spring of uh, 1980. That's when we did uh, uh, Rio, uh, Rio uh, Santa Maria. And that was a beautiful river for us. Yeah, that's great. Great. great uh, Turquoise water, warm water all together. So, so, so that was uh, when we did Santa Maria. So, along those lines, and this is something I talked with John about uh, a couple of days ago was how do you, do you feel there's a fundamental difference in kayaking and ex in, in exploration now with GPSs and helicopters and cell phones and Google Earth? I mean, do you think it was, I don't know a more since like a just a, a more sincere adventure back then or, or do you think that there's i mean what's changed or do you have thoughts on that uh what i or us we called our expedition one of those last romantic expeditions yeah when when we went to like santa maria or later to colca or later i i went to the amazon in the acobamba abyss and we disappeared for two three months nobody cared we yeah. didn't send a helicopter. Nobody even knew uh, our location. Yeah. Uh, we were on, on, on our own. If I oversee some expeditions now and I don't see, uh, I have a contact uh, two days or three days, we are already trying to send help. <laughs> so that's the, that's the difference. You, we were on our own. There was not that much information. Like you said yourself, if you were in Avis, uh, in uh, Mexico, you went on the river. You didn't know if somebody did that before. Uh, right. If you, if somebody, if there is a, any even information where to put in, uh, what the gradient, uh, what the difficulty, if there are any waterfalls in the middle of the canyon. Right. And now, that all is mostly available. If it's completely unrun river yet, uh, and you do the first descent, you mostly can go to Google Maps or Google uh, the, uh, Google Pro and best information. value of water you can expect, uh, what is the gradient 
you can even see some uh, rapids from the from the air right and that gives you a lot more information than ever and you ever had when you were in Hades in Mexico that's the that's the difference on other one uh, equipment as I said before we had <laughs> kayaks mm. without support from the front without the uh, really uh, uh, hip uh, su uh, attachment or su support. Uh, those were, we called them uh, paper kayaks. Uh, can you imagine on Kolka uh, when if I touched the rock, my kayak was gone. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, and 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 then uh, later in Peru, uh, of those big waters in like Colca, where 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 there are new fresh cut rocks, and uh, so that's the huge difference. Uh, uh, definitely, we could not do anything as as now people like Rush Sturges or Scott Lindgren can do uh, with their kayaks, with their experience, with their abilities to prepare and set up at the new even generation because even from uh, the uh, time of Scott now those new kayakers are doing something where I am looking at my 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 legs are shaking uh, <laughs> on looking at them so uh, we 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 are entering to that time where uh, we believe that nothing new can happen or nothing, there will be no improvements. <clears throat> or at the time when we went to Pacuare, Colca, that they were almost unrunnable. And now some of those kayakers will look at those rivers and say, guys, what are you talking about? This is, this is class two, three. There is nothing, there is nothing there. <laughs> right. uh, so we have a different perspective. Uh, Somebody like us need to do that type of kayaking like you, John, did in Mexico in the 80s for those new guys to do a lot more, more difficult, more complicated. And with the design and the materials which are used now for the boats or rafts, uh, we are talking about different, different, different worlds. But that's good. That's all yeah. great. Good answer. What about... What about on your travels? This is just one thing that I've ran into at times. How do you approach the difficult situations when you're out there? When it, uh, A couple different kind of scenarios here. Not so much like on the river, but those situations where you run into armed rebels, drug cartel types, um, those kind of things. It seemed also from the film and the articles I read about your first complete descent of the Amazon and some of the other adventures, you navigate those very well. How, how do you approach that situation? We were young and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in, in some way, it's, it's like if I am in the even Kolka Canyon and then in Akobamba Abyss for the first time and we have no choice. And you probably did use rivers where you did some first descents. You don't know what to expect. And you have no way to return. Because there is no way to, even if you call for helicopter, if that was even possible, nobody could get there down. You have only one way to go forward. 
and uh, stop thinking about anything else. Just just do it. The Sendero Luminoso group came with uh, some uh, uh, some uh, some uh, arms at us, and I am standing with a raft. Uh, uh, people in the raft, and uh, and there is no other choice. You cannot run; uh, there will be suicidal. Uh, only what I did at the time, uh, knowing the little bit of political uh, activities in the time in 1985-86, almost one quarter of the country was controlled by Sendero Luminoso. If we ask permission from Peruvian government to go through Apurimac, one of the sources of the main sources of the of the Amazon, to give us permission, uh, they will not give us, and they will remove us from the country without even uh, with our protest. So we entered that place basing on the attitude that normally. People do not go down to the canyons, and no, nobody will be there. Somehow, through the one or two months, we will sneak through and get out. Well, that didn't happen. So, <laughs> I am, I am, and what we, what, what I, what I, what we were discussing, if that happens, guys, nobody speaks English. Uh, we are all from Poland. We have our own mission, and because at the time. Soviet and Chinese and some Polish communist uh, groups were helping communists and their Luminoso. So you see, if you guys with uh, guns coming at you, <coughs> you have you you have no way to escape. So we were mostly. I was talking Zbigniew, uh, our photographer. He 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 was uh, he had a really good. Uh, Spanish at the time to 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 use. Uh, Joe Kane, I told him he was uh, our writer and a great great companion. Uh, don't even say that you are from United States. They were looking for those guys. So we, in some way, in friendly way, introduce ourselves. We are uh, checking. We are uh, coming down the river. They were really petrified and. Couldn't imagine that somebody could come out of the canyon to their own territory, which they were controlling. There was like a base. And in the Running the Amazon book, Joe Kane wrote, he described all the situation. So we, I was, we were negotiating with them. Negotiating with them, hey, we are here. We, uh, if you let us go, uh, we will, we will give a good word to her, whoever wants to listen. Uh, you have uh, you have uh, kids and children here in North base. If if you if you do something to us, probably some planes will be looking or helicopters looking for us. So that's 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 kind of uh, information I was trying to let uh, tr transfer to them. And after probably like two hours of talk, they inspected everything what we had. Uh, even uh, uh, girls or women inspected uh, Kate, uh, Kate's um, breast because they wanted to see if that white person has the same type of build-up like, like them. Mm. And finally, we negotiated that we will give them a fishing net 
and we will give them uh, six tuna fish uh, cans. Um, everything else, we told them, hey, you can take everything from us, but it's, it's useless. What, what will you do with those paddles? Uh, uh, what will you do even with, uh, with any of our gear? We got to the point when we were giving them from the bag, we gave them a net, a fishing net, and I gave them six tuna fish. And somebody was grabbing, wanted to get more of those tuna fish. And I said, we agree on six. And Joe Kane said, son of a gun, give them whatever they want. <laughs> and I said, no, we agreed on six. I told them, hey, look, uh, we agreed on six. We need to be all right from both sides. And that's how we ended. They let us go. Now, I wanted to use two other tricks. John Paul II was at that time uh, a, a pope in Rome from Poland. And I wanted to use that as a kind of tool for us. And I said to one of those uh, people who I thought was in charge of that group, hey, uh, I am from the same uh, place, the same city as uh, John Paul II. He, I know that he was in uh, uh, Peru, in Ayacucho not a long time ago. And this one guy said, I was assigned to kill that son of a bitch in Ayacucho. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, what? That didn't work. So another one. And I, Back to the tuna cans. <laughs> I only work with them uh, to just uh, because majority of even communists, they, they were born Catholic. So that didn't work. Another one was soccer. In Peru, South America, South, Central America, everybody likes like soccer. So I said, oh, Poland, was, uh, Poland was playing soccer with Peru. Unfortunately, Poland beat them 5-1. Uh, <laughs> but I said that, uh, that probably we will play soccer again. And this guy I said, well, soccer is a capitalistic way to make sure that everybody is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that didn't work. But we had communication. We could talk. And, and again, could be that one sum of the wrong move uh, will, will, will just kill us, but uh, we got out. We got out. We, again, I am encouraging everybody to read this running the Amazon because uh, based on some people, it's supposed to be a good book. And that's where <laughs> Joe Kane described uh, our expeditions and, uh, and why, why we survived them. Peter, was that the first descent of the abyss? In, as I understand, uh, there are two areas when we went in 1985-86. Black, Black Canyon, which was about 40-60 miles that nobody ran before, and Akobamba Abyss, which is about 100 kilometers, and based on our information, that nobody ran in complete. Many expeditions just walk away to avoid the most difficult part. So that's 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 my recollection, and that's what was written in 
when Joe Kane was writing Running the Amazon, he was trying to get all information uh, available in uh, 87, and that's what we what we believe. What what kind of boats were you paddling at that point? So we had one raft, uh, Raken, a uh, self bailer, and we had at the time dancers uh, to uh, which were used uh, for two people, and I had on the upper part a uh, perception blazer. Mm. And uh, so we had two blazers and two uh, dancers. That's the, and that was at that time, as you probably know, uh, to have a dancer or blazer plastic. We will never make it uh, Apurimac without without those boats because right. they were they were already strong and very durable. <laughs> I can't imagine running those rapids in a blazer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so you, you saw the majority of the shots on the Kolka uh, Godspeed Los Polacos film uh, where somebody's in the kayak, that will be mostly me. And if you move from this kayak made in Poland yeah. to blazer, that was like moving from Hugo to Cadillac RT. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, at that time, uh, and Jerome Turan, who got for that time uh, dancer, was very happy to have dancer uh, to, to 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 run for the first time. He used so Tim Biggs, another great. We had those two guys, Jerome Turan and Tim Biggs. Without them, we will probably not make it. Uh, places like uh, like uh, Akobamba Abyss. Uh, they were great characters, and I, I, I learned a lot from them uh, at the time uh, because uh, that was, a, that was a, a very uh, important for us to have them. Tim Biggs uh, from South Africa, we had him on the second uh, Kolka National Geographic expedition, and that's how we met him then on the on the Jerome came with Tim Biggs to Amazon, and those are two guys which I learned a lot for the for the whitewater with the whitewater kayaking. I want to jump. How back. long did it? Oh, sorry, Liz, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask how long it took to get through the abuse on that trip. Um, I believe we we took three weeks at the time. I have exactly the description of the days, but it took us about three weeks to get through the all uh, all canyon. Very cool. Were you were you there maybe yourself? Uh, did you did you go through the Aporimac in those two sections? I have. We didn't we didn't do the Black Canyon, but the Abismo for sure, which definitely stands up to contemporary standards of gnarliness for sure. <laughs> it's, a, it's a serious piece of whitewater. It's it's yeah. Very cool and, to hear about. And what 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 time of year did you go? We went in um, in October, so pretty low. In October, so you were you were you were a little bit later than us, but probably you had you had uh, not too much less uh, amount of water than us because we were there 
end of uh, middle of September. So leave me, leave me maybe 10-15% of the less water until November starts and the rain, rain, rain starts to drop there. Yeah, it's an amazing place for sure. I'd, so, yeah, it's just trying to imagine. Which year, which year did you go there? I think that would have been maybe 2013. So a few, few years later. Did few you years have, later. <laughs> did you have a support of the raft or only kayaks? Only kayaks. Only kayaks. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I mean, for us, it was, you know, five days. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So uh, look, uh, when we did Kolka, it took us almost a month with a, a lot of breaks. And now people do that in two, three days. So that's the difference. And, uh, and, uh, but you know what? If somebody is doing Kolka in three days, they do not enjoy the views. <laughs> that's the difference. Uh, we, need to, we need to just stop and contemplate the beauty of those places. And... Uh, enjoy the nature and uh, and i believe we we because of three years of being uh being on the expedition uh, the one thing which happened to us that time was uh, time was uh, we were we were rushing but not too much so that's why it took us three years. And anyway, uh, you, you, you saw the movie, so Andrzej Pintowski, who at the time uh, was a leader of our group, we were a very demo democratic bunch, but uh, we had to have always somebody who signed or negotiated with the government. So Andrzej was a leader from the second part of Kanoantis. So we had Jurek Majerczyk, myself, who were mostly experienced with water. Jacek Bogutski, who I mentioned as a cameraman, as Bigniew's Zdak uh, photographer. And uh, without two additional guys, uh, uh, Beach, uh, uh, Stefan Danielski and Biczu uh, Krzysztof Krasniewski, they were dumped at Guayaquil in Ecuador because some some disagreement with the captain of the yacht. They were planning to go around the world, but captain just kicked them out in Guayaquil. Two days later, we found them on the streets of Guayaquil because, <laughs> because our, our car, our pickup truck Chevy was arrested in Ecuador after landing there. So we were free, but our car was arrested and was chain uh, was impossible to take it out. So we had a few days in Guayaquil and we adopted those two guys. <laughs> Without those two guys, we will never make it Kolka because we, there were not enough of us. And those guys who were sailors, they were not afraid of water. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, if you look at the movie, this one guy who was left in the Canyon de Reparas in the middle of the of the rapids. That's Bichu Krzysztof Krasniewski, who, hey, water is water. Uh, in the <laughs> ocean or somewhere in the Kolka Canyon, uh, they were not afraid and they helped us tremendously to, to make it. Uh, so that was, that was a, 
in some way <laughs> one of those lucky moments where we where we found uh, people and they help us to 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 make our dreams happen. So that's all. Just 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 imagining it from their perspective, just being like washed up in Guayaquil, being like, "What are we gonna do now?" And then they're like, "Oh, these Polish other Polish guys are here. This is great." They're like, "Well, we have good news. We have bad news. <laughs> the good news we're here. The bad news is now you have to help us off the world's deepest river." <laughs> and, and and at the time uh, was tough to we 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 planned to take them from that Guayaquil to Lima because they wanted to see Peru, but uh, then that happens. Uh, so many happenings, uh, many happenings. <laughs> like even uh, it's, you know five guys, seven guys from Poland. How to how we got it to to get two big stories in National Geographic. By accident, uh, by accident, because we published a small book in Lima, Peru, and that book later was picked up by Jean-Michel Cousteau, son of the Jacques Michel. And one time when we were already in the United States, they called Andrzej Piętowski, who was in New York, and said, here is Jacques Cousteau, I would like to talk with Polish kayakers. So Andrzej said, hey, drink another two beers and uh, call me later. <laughs> Immediately, another call uh, from, from Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> but Andrzej did not believe. So that call was from his secretary in Paris somewhere. And, and finally, that girl convinced Andrzej to listen. <laughs> two days later, uh, Andrzej and Jacek were in Calypso in uh, in, in uh, Norfolk, uh, Virginia. And what he asked us to do, help him with a production film he was doing with Ted Turner uh, about Amazon. He wanted us to help him in the areas of the source of the Amazon, get kayaks, get rafts, get the crew. But we are stateless. We are in the United States, no way to get out. Can you imagine what the opportunity was for some guys who are completely lost somewhere in the world? But if we left, we couldn't even get out. We had no, no passports which were workable. And somehow, because we were living in Casper, Wyoming, we met with Senator Simpson, who in the Congress was in charge of immigration. So I met Senator Simpson, very good person, in Romada Inn in Casper, sometime mm -hmm. in uh, 83, beginning of 83. And he said to me, you know what? I cannot help. There are many rivers in the United States. Just <laughs> get on them. <laughs> but what Jacques Custode, he called editor, his friend, editor of National Geographic. And he said that there, are, there is a group of people from Poland that did some unusual stuff. Get them. So we got a contact from National Geographic. We provided them with pictures from Kolka, from many other rivers like Santa Maria. But we had our film made on 
Orvo from East Germany, which were, was copy of Istmat Kodak, and they were semi-color and black and white. And National Geographic said, no, no way we can publish anything with this material. But if you have any other ideas, so let us know. And so we proposed for 1983 uh, expedition to Kolka. They got, gave us grant, and that's how our cooperation started. And so how, how we got to Jacques Cousteau, he found us, and the rest, rest is the story. Without, without publications in National Geographic or book, Again, nobody will probably hear about us, and uh, and that's that's that that's that that's all. <laughs> that's one of my favorite parts of this film is just this cascading level of events and these doors that open up, and you guys are just so willing just to step right through them <laughs> onto the next. I mean, it's just it's an amazing Adam. You did a great job putting it together oh, of, sure. of, of of that <laughs> happening because. <laughs> made me jealous. I wanted to go do it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, the hardest part was just figuring out how to like make sense of it all because there's so much, and you got five, five, you know, storytellers just like Piotr, all delivering it from all different angles, and there's so much of it, and just like figuring out how to make it one, you know, digestible stream. That was the, the trickiest part. But when when you can wrap your head around it. It only gets crazier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When you really digest it, did you make all the graphics in that film, Adam? I, I, I think I noticed in the credit that you did. Yeah, so it's a tiny production. So uh, it was me, uh, my partner Sonia, uh, who produced the film. Um, we did pretty much all of it. Uh, we, you know, we realized that there were some uh, portions and some stories that we didn't have visuals for. Um, so at one point we even we even flew down to the Colca Canyon to just shoot like a bunch of just like like just landscapes and stuff that we thought we would put in if we needed to like have something on the screen. And then we ended up using none of it because uh, one thing that you got to understand is like when we did these interviews with these guys, they had no idea what like what we were doing or who we were or if this was a real project or not. So like they weren't particularly motivated to like rip open their basements and stuff to give us all their materials. But then, like, once we started sending them drafts and stuff, and they were like, oh, snap, this is a real movie. That's when, like, all this material started coming down on us. <laughs> Guys, like, where was this? They're like, you know, it's, it was, we didn't want to give you too much work. I'm like, we were going to animate all these things. <laughs> and so there are a lot of animated portions in there. But, like, to hire a real animator is super oh, expensive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I uh, do a bunch of motion graphics in the film where I cut up some of these archival photos, make a move. We kind of do, it's like 2.5D animation is what they call it. Mm -hmm. um, and so we applied those techniques with uh, a friend of ours who is a great illustrator. And so we had her draw things in layers. So we'd make like, okay, put the paddle on this layer and then the person's face on this layer and then the kayak on the other in the water. Um, and with her skills as an illustrator and my skills as a motion designer, we, we came up with a solution for, for animation that I think seems pretty convincing. Uh, <laughs> but it's funny, you'll notice like uh, a lot of the animated movement, it goes in slow motion, which I think sells as a pretty de deliberate creative choice in the, in the film. <laughs> but it's a product of the fact that like doing more motions would just be too cost and prohibitive. <laughs> yeah. Just the render time. Yeah. I always... 
Yeah, I gotta say I was blown away by just like the editing and the degree to which all the animation sort of like flowed seamlessly with the archival footage and the interviews. Like I thought it was it worked amazingly well. Okay. I thought it was really Thank cool. You. Yeah, I mean honestly it looked like you could have told me it was a multi million dollar production. I wouldn't have <laughs> wouldn't have thought any anything of that. Totally. <laughs> so, so Adam, where are you hiding that money? <laughs> we did a Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, we did a Kickstarter campaign, um, which raised like uh, I think it was like thirty thousand, and then you know you lose a little bit of that to the Kickstarter cost and whatnot. But like essentially, the money that we had left over just went to licensing archival materials. So it's like anytime you see photos of like. Polish army walking around or like the Berlin wall falling down. Like that stuff is so expensive to use in a legitimate way. It's just like that money instantly disappeared. So it's just a lot of just sunk time. <laughs> There's just Sonia and I working around the clock for four years. <laughs> wow. You guys put this together on $30,000. Uh, well, yeah, 25 <laughs> essentially. That is amazing. Well, my, 25 my. that we raised, there's, you know, a few other things here and there, but it's mostly just our time investment. Yeah. Hmm. I hope this is a launch for Sourland Studios and everything you guys do because that was amazing. I hope so. And John and John, and John two Johns and um, Luis. First time I saw that movie on the computer after Sonia and Adam sent to us uh, to review, and there were definitely discussions what 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 stays, what goes, but the uh, final product product, and I was I was. Probably not too enthusiastic. Uh, from my point of view, there could be some uh, some uh, cuts or some additions. But when I went to Telluride and later to Boulder, and late late uh, just now to Poland, and when I watched that movie with a public around me, with people and commenting and laughing and uh, that. Every time I I watch something new comes and uh, and then I see what uh, Sonia and Adam did. Uh, there is there is life there. There is a perseverance and and I never look at that this way. Uh, there is a there is, you can follow that uh, that documentary and see from the beginning to the end. It's 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 the goal oriented and and. And and that's uh, Adam and Sonia. That's that's for you. That's from us. Mm-hmm. You did a great job there, and uh, I, I feel like I am observer. Even you can see me there in the kayak from time to time, and that's uh, that's a nice, uh, great feeling to to have that uh, to show now to not only to family but to others, and mostly to the wide water and kayaking world because there are many of us. One of the uh, kind of most satisfying things that we re- encountered was uh, when we went to do Zbigniew's interview, and, and Zbigniew is a photographer on the expedition, and he works for the Chicago Tribune as a photojournalist. So this is a guy who thinks about visual storytelling all the time, and he was, you know, happy to do the interview and everything, but he was just like, "Why? Why are you doing this?" It's like he just like didn't understand. It's like this is a story that's already been told. It's forty years ago. This doesn't make any sense. It's like doing else. Uh, and for me, that strikes me as this like perfect example of someone who's like too close to the to the, the picture to see it, uh, because the 40 years of time that we get to look back onto this uh, story with is exactly what gives the story so, or the film value. It's just that we get to see how it fits into the context of the world, uh, and it makes it so much more than like a standard uh, adventure movie. 
I agree. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, in in just looking at, it, I mean, you're the perfect guy to tell a story too, Adam, because you know you're scrappy, low budget. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, yeah, I mean, no, it's, I, it's I, right. John, 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 I will correct you here because I never, I, I didn't know about Sonia and Adam their outside outdoor activities, and you know what? Adam is a professional kayaker. And Not a prof okay, whoa, 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 settle down. They're going to ask you about my feather angle in a second. So. Oh, we're getting to that. We're, we're getting, getting to that. He uh, started to show the drops and uh, rapids and uh, where he went and uh, with, uh, with uh, mountaineering and so on. So you need to have a person like that and Sonia too, who, who, who does a lot together with Adam, to understand this part of how to show, how to present. And uh, that's that opened my eyes and uh, all others uh, that we we did not, in some way at the beginning, believe that Adam uh, and Sonia can do it because we didn't know what they do in real life. And, uh, and uh, that was uh, very, very important for me to, to find at the end. And that's uh, and to understand they were capable to make it uh, because what they do, what they like to do, and uh, and this kind of youth enthusiasm, which 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 was transferred from them to to the movie. And for us, uh, the film was a really personal story in, in that it let us explore the circumstances of our, our parents' immigrations to the United States. So Sonia also is a first-generation uh, Polish-American whose parents immigrated in the late 80s. Um, and so it was an opportunity for us to really dig in and, and unpack the world that they were leaving behind to, to come to the United States with. Hmm. Are you guys still friends? Everybody who was on the expedition? We are all friends as a group. Uh, there are some some issues uh, between <laughs> some of us, but if we need to uh, put together uh, in the like for last twenty five years in my home at Virginia, uh, we did uh, reunited uh, with. Uh, not only those members of the of the uh, from the Cano Andes expedition, but many other kayakers. Sometimes my wife will tell, will be asking me day before gathering how many people will be coming to our home, and I will say, well, 20, 40, maybe 50, maybe a little bit more. <laughs> and so we 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 try to get together and be together. And the Potomac River rendezvous. They all paddle the Potomac every year. <laughs> And what happens too that on, we, we will say Potomac speaks Polish on the Labor Day every, every time. <laughs> what, what's important too here, um, like my two sons and sons of other uh, are quite good kayakers. And my older son, Max, he's many times better kayaker than I ever was. And the same for Alex. Max is mostly kayaking because he loves that. Alex will be kayaking. He's a good kayaker, but he will do that uh, when girls are around. So <laughs> done. that's some, like Grace. Uh, Grace is the same way. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Do some Eskimo rolls. Uh, but I am proud that uh, over the years uh, we probably introduced to kayaking uh, to ka to kayaking 
uh, a lot of young people. Uh, when Max and Alex were in uh, elementary school or high schools, uh, we were taking to the Potomac uh, 20, 30 people and I had enough kayaks to provide equipment and all the paddles and all the life jackets. And that's probably our role now. Get young generation out of the computers and the games and do some activities. And if, uh, if we accomplish something, all of us from that group and others, that will be some, something that I am proud of. Uh, that uh, they know what kayaking is, what uh, pleasure brings. So get out and and get to the to the to the nature. Amen. There's so many little storylines on here that we've talked about, like the importance of clubs, introducing people, like your Whitewater Club and the and the scene that it had. I mean, we could just go into so many different little little facets here. But one thing I want to ask you about in the movie, and again, it kept me off, Adam. I'm doing the wrong thing here. <laughs> but you guys get out of the country, you go through all the effort, you show up in Mexico, and it's your first time on Whitewater. What was that experience like? Because it kind of got cut short a little bit in the film, but it seemed like uh, there was some action. A little bit of, a little, what was your, tell me about that. So there is a river, uh, Pescados, and uh, we brought... Uh, 27 kayaks with us from Poland and there are five of us six of us who are who can do some kayaking and water looked a little bit bigger than probably biggest river in uh, in Poland uh, Polish river Dunajec that river was probably twice as big and like in the film was described, after 30 minutes, we lost seven kayaks. <laughs> Hopefully, we did not lose anybody. <laughs> so that was our first experience. Uh, if you are a little bit, uh, if, if you read water, but not to the end, and you are new, uh, new, uh, new, new place, uh, looked acceptable. But was pushy, uh, was uh, difficult. There were a lot of rocks, and uh, and that was that was a huge cold water on our shoulders uh, dropped because we realized at that moment uh, we are not ready for any. And and if you know Pescados, it's maybe two to four somewhere class river. Uh, and that's all. So, but maybe that's good because, again, with our circumstances, if we landed in Peru for the first time, or even in Argentina, and we didn't have that time for one year and a half to prepare ourselves, Mexican rivers, those which we kayak, even Santa Maria, it's uh, forgiving. And, uh, and uh, so, we train ourselves, got to uh, a lot more exercise, and uh, and over the another year and a half, almost two years, uh, prepared. So, answering your question, that was a shock. Uh, <laughs> that was a, a re realization. Our skills were not ready for 
uh, for for challenging any of those rivers and 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 Mexican rivers were really altogether very small. If we ended or we started with like Marañón River during the rainy season, <laughs> the, the fish will be bigger uh, until now uh, because of 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 uh, there will be no chance for us to survive. It didn't dampen your spirits at all. That was great about it. Uh, no, uh, we were maybe uh, down for a few days, but uh, we had to find solution. We couldn't say, "Hey, that's it. We are coming back to Poland." Uh, they, that was that was not even in anybody's mind. Uh, we had to we had to find a solution, and that finding a solution was probably what saved us all the way uh, through the through the expedition. So you have a ton of expeditions, first descents, things like that under your belt. But now you've kind of transitioned into this and I, I, I need a little better understanding of this. So you have a company or a business or just a side thing that you do where you facilitate expeditions, sponsor them. How, how does that work? What is that all about? Uh, well, we will never accomplish anything as a canoandes without uh, that uh, kayak club Bistre or university or later all the friends and from five or seven expedition members that now we have a little bit of obligation to help others who have dreams and do something related to water in my case do if somebody is doing something related to Amazon, somehow I am pulled in, and uh, uh, with little uh, resources, financial resources, I can help others to just uh, get them if there is a problem uh, to 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 to. Uh, to sometimes help even financially, but majority of my help is logistical, contacts, uh, information. If somebody goes to South America or, 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 or even Central America, and I try to keep contacts with a lot of people, friends, as we said before, we are keeping contact with those people we met in 1980s. And uh, that's very, uh, very, uh, in some way, uh, uh, not, I will say, uh, that's very helpful uh, from both sides uh, because we, we are in touch. But if there is a problem for the some expedition in Peru, I can, even now from the United States, help with uh, sending, uh, sending people or some help. So, for example, in 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 the case of uh, of uh, that was uh, kayaker Alexander Doba who crossed Atlantic three times and well nothing be special if he was not 67 years young when he started crossing the Atlantic by kayak and after his first crossing from uh, Africa to Brazil. Nobody really knew anything about him. Uh, there were there were two people who greeted him when he landed on the on the on Brasilia uh, beach. 
So with a second expedition, when he said he will like to cross from uh, Lisbon, Portugal to Florida, I became a media coordinator. So my role was to let people know about him and uh, that way financially help him to even uh, get some additional help. Uh, so because of my contacts, even in like National Geographic in Poland and here in the United States at that time, uh, I wrote, I don't know, 15, 20 stories about Oleg crossing the Atlantic two, three times. Uh, and if he got in trouble in the, in the, uh, in, in the, in the Atlantic, um, uh, and, uh, uh, was stuck somewhere south of Bermuda. So I, I just went to Bermuda, I got a fishing boat, uh, found him on the <laughs> Bermuda Triangle and, uh, and didn't help him in the way that I pulled him or anything. We just found that he's okay. He needed another three, four days to get to Bermuda. And there was a funny situation with him where we wanted to, I got like a Polish TV with me to, to film him at the time. We tried to give him uh, some food or some, 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 some supplies. And he said, no, 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 I am on my own. You are just here to see me but I cannot accept anything from you. And he gave, gave us a few bars of chocolate. So <laughs> that, was, uh, that, was, that was an interesting story. So my role was in that case, uh, just to help let people know about his activities. Another one, uh, who, there were two brothers. They had a crazy idea uh, David Andres and uh, Hubert Kishinsky to do something in the, with the Amazon. They took two bikes, the got from Pacific <coughs> to the area where um, they, they were planning to go to the area where they could put those bike, bikes on the water and make like a kind of catamaran with a transfer from uh, their pedals to the uh, to the rudder in the in the back and get that way mechanically transfer the power from the legs to the to the water. I thought that is crazy and uh, just unrealistic. Idea. So at the beginning, I was a little bit uh, not sure if that was worth it for me to even be involved. But what happened? They, after two thousand kilometers, they they got to the area of one of the sources of the Amazon, Lake Ticlacocha, five thousand one hundred fifty meters, and then they sent me a pictures that they not only got there with bikes, they had to carry those bikes there, but for the first time, somebody took bikes to that area. They were swimming in this small lake, 
fro freezing 5,000 meters above the sea level. So I believe that if they have to walk down the river, they will make that expedition happen. So I was accepting to be a media coordinator for them. And they, were, they are quite famous in Poland now. And, uh, and the idea was something new. If you, if you say biking the Amazon, and that's the name of the expedition, that's, uh, you will see a few interesting stories, uh, pirates and uh, narcotraficantes and how they, how they did all that uh, over, the, over the, again, took them about six, seven months to, to make it. And, uh, and uh, I had an example of two people who I admire a lot. That was uh, uh, Michał Woroch and Maciej Kaminski. Handicap, they could, cannot operate their legs just before, be, uh, be, below the waist. But imagine you have no, you cannot use your legs, but they had an idea to fit prepare a Land Rover from 1980s or maybe 75. They fit that, they prepared that Land Rover, sent from Poland to Buenos Aires, drove to Tierra del Fuego and from Tierra del Fuego to Alaska, Prudhoe Bay, Washington, New York. And again, I was kind of media coordinator uh, wrote a, do a lot of stories, uh, helped them if there was some problem with the uh, car broke again a few times. It took them one year and a half. But when they came to Washington, to my office, and people saw them, and how enthusiastic those two guys were. And you can imagine, when I saw them, they took them, they normally takes them about 35 to 40 minutes to get to the car in the morning and get out of the car if they need to get out. Because there's all, uh, they had like lifts, uh, they had uh, uh, different help. But so John and John and uh, Luis, imagine yourself, if you go to the car and you need 40 minutes to get to the car, you will think about not to forget something. But if you forget, you need to go back and those guys were so enthusiastic that some people in my office were saying, you know what, I cannot complain anymore about my something what happened today. Looking at those people who, who have so much desire to live every day with what they got and not to complain because they have another day to live. Uh, it, it's a kind of example we, we, we organized for them uh, presentation in Explorers Club in New York, people could not stop clapping mm. after that presentation because it's, it's, so again, your question was what I do. I like to uh, be involved and even I don't have time now running a company, environmental company in Washington DC. That, those are my expeditions. I, I, I equipped them uh, at current time. There is a person from London. He sold his house in 2014. 
His name is Pete Cassey. So uh, I wanted to connect uh, David Andres Hubert Kishinsky with the Pete Cassey in 2014, uh, where when they were close to Marajo Bay, close to Belém. But that didn't work. So since that time, I am in touch with Pete Cassey. And Pete Cassey, after selling his house, and he's a bricklayer from London, had an idea to see Amazon and walk. Nobody did it before. From the Belém Atlantic to Pacific or the area of the source, sources of the Amazon. He thought that he will do that in two years. Started in 2014. Today is 2021. He's yet today in a place called San Francisco Apurimac. He has another eight to one year to get to the, to the top of the mountains. And for him to survive all the travels, COVID, and uh, being there, I just got uh, information from him that uh, he will get to that San Francisco probably today afternoon. Uh, I am involved with uh, helping him in the contacts and lead you off uh, financially. But I believe in people like that. Uh, and if they can, if we uh, as a group, because we do that as a Canoandes organization, which grew out of the, our Canoandes group. So if we believe in somebody, that's that's where we help. And uh, so I don't know if I answer your question, but uh, you, you, you can call yourself an expedition promoter. Uh, no, no, I, I believe I am a repaying, a repaying what uh, what we got previously from many people. So that's that's, that's all. And uh, Adam, you probably saw uh, you saw our group. Uh, you met the majority of our people. Everybody is the same. Uh, the same uh, attitude uh, like like mine in that case. Uh, do you? Do I think so? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that uh, that I've heard many people refer to Piot as the godfather of the Amazon. So kind of any expeditions happening in the uh, Amazon now, uh, you, you seem to have some sort of uh, some sort of influence on on what's going on down there. Uh, somebody name name me like that and stick. So I I need to work hard to keep that name. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It's a pretty amazing life that you've lived, amazing film. I mean, we could go on and on, but we're so far over our time limit right now, we probably got to shut this down. But before we let you go, what's your uh, paddle length and feather? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, paddle length, 177, 178. And I see a you, you asked me about paddle length. Yeah, paddle length for whitewater. Yeah, it's uh, 177, 178. For some reason, I measured that a few days ago. And uh, so I, I use 80, uh, 80 paddle, you know, you know those paddles? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, sometime uh, will be uh, uh, Wagner, Wagner paddles, uh, that type. And... Uh, uh, nothing, nothing special. Just works, works for me. Because again, remember from the Godspeed was Polakos. 
I was using wooden paddle in Kolka. <laughs> uh, John uh, or Luis, could you imagine going to the Acobamba Abyss with a one wooden paddle? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds scary. So, so, what about you, Adam? You guys are gonna you guys are gonna rip on me for this one. I'm a one ninety seven, but a zero degree. All right, well that cuts the interview right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought for sure we were gonna get like like two fourteen ninety. I think you need to remeasure that paddle. <laughs> oh, that was in in inches. Uh, you probably realized that seven to eight inches. What, so are you a one ninety seven? Wait, wait, centimeters? Wait. No, no, no. Seventy-eight inches is how long your paddle is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seventy-eight inches. So right. how many? How many centimeters? Well, John's getting out the calculator. <laughs> let, me, let me check this out. I may take this review of the movie back here in a second. <laughs> uh, okay, that's one ninety-eight. So okay. okay, all right. All right. So one seventy-seven. That's what's going on there. <laughs> no, yeah, that's seven, your scale. Seventy-seven, seventy-eight inches. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't give you that. <laughs> That's probably wore down just a little bit. I wouldn't worry about it. Well, sincerely, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else, Adam, you'd like to add about Godspeed, Los Polacos, before we let you go? Uh, Well, I just hope everyone gets an opportunity to check it out. I think it's a pretty unique story in the whitewater space. Uh, For sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, So, John, John and Luis, thank you for bringing uh, me, us, and uh, again, to everybody who listen, uh, Godspeed Los Polacos. If you want to learn here or remember again about situation, uh, historical situation in Poland, which affected everybody in the world, solidarity and the collapse of the colonies, you all have some effects of that. Uh, please watch that movie. Mm. For sure. Yeah, guys, thanks so much. What an yeah. honor. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yep. Well, we'll talk to you later. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Uh, that was great, man. I just, I just, to re- yeah. You will not regret watching this movie. It's like, watch this movie. It's just, it's unbelievably good. Uh, dude, he still got that enthusiasm. You know? Totally. It's just like such annoying optimism. But I love it. Yeah. You know I, mean, I, mean? Yeah. I don't mean it in a bad way. You know, it's just like, I mean the movie just has it just has like everything, you know. It's just mm-hmm. like adventure and just wrapped up in the history of it all. And like it's just and the budget. It's unbelievable. And the budget for yeah. the movie. Which it's there was none. <laughs> right? There was none. <laughs> there was no but you watch it. I mean, it looks honestly as good as anything else you'd see and you know, out of Hollywood or anything. I mean, certainly it's entertaining. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, Darby and I watched it two nights ago, and she's like, I hope this wins the, like, best document- documentary Oscar. You yeah. know, like, it's <laughs> it's it's so legit. Yeah. Was, you can tell there was a lot of passion in the interviews by the filmmakers themselves. I mean, it hit all the buttons. Um, well, we were going to get into some listener mail, but we're too deep, guys. We got to – I got to run. Um. Let's move on to everyone's favorite section of the show. This is Rants and Raves, where our hosts go on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave. Um, who would like to go first? I'm prepared for once. Oh, yeah, I, I went too. Well, by all means, take the lead. 
I'm going to rave about mm. the Whitewater Video YouTube channel, which has unearthed such gems as Oh God, Great Falls Race 1991 featuring John Weld racing in a Phoenix you Cascade. S- you sent me a link to that, and you'd think I'd remember racing the Great Falls in a Cascade, but I have no recollection of that whatsoever. That was- I like... <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was there watching. I'm pretty sure I saw myself on the rocks as a 11 year old boy in the, like in the video. Ryan Bond, like kicking him in the dick. It was dick definitely Ryan. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty damn sure it was Ryan and I there watching the race because I was like, I was like, I think I was there. And then Jason Sullivan racing in the perception reflex pitons at the spout. I'm like, oh yeah, I was there for sure watching that. <laughs> I remember that. And then the, he, the, whoever this person is posted the 95 Great Falls race, which is like the first year I raced. And it's just like me and all my friends when we're like 15 years old racing Great Falls. And like there's like a video of Jesse Whittemore's like attainment, um, like the world championships of attaining on the upper yacht in like 95. Oh, I was, watched that one. That was a good one. I was so bummed. And I wanted to race that. And I was I think I was like in Europe or something. But I he had done this slots race the year before that was like to this day the best kayaking event I've ever been a part of. And I, I hope somewhere that that video exists and gets unearthed that I'm not sure if there is any. But I don't know. It's just like a blast from the past. It makes me feel old for sure. But I'm enjoying watching it. <laughs> That 91 race, I mean, it's like all my kayaking heroes, you know, it's like like John Lugbill is racing and Tom and Weld and Andy Bridge and like, you're just like, oh, man, this is awesome. How like, I'm you... like, oh, yeah, that was my like camp counselor at the lake. Like, it's, it's, it's I, awesome. I gave you your links and Riffle's card. <laughs> How'd you do, Weld? I have no idea. I can't remember it at all. How do you I do, mean, Lewis? I remember nothing of it. I want to say like sixth or something like that. Nice. The results are in there at the end. Finish. Well, I'm just going to rant real quick about just not being able to get any gear or anything for kayaking. Dude, how can you rant about that after listening to Piotr talk about it? Eh, it's like, yeah. just, yeah, it's not a wimpy rant. I'm just hoarding at this point, you know, <laughs> like I'm just right. scared to use my stuff. <clears throat> All right. I have, I, have, I have a rant. Yes. Bring yeah, it. I have a rant. It's it's not it's not that powerful. It's a rant against what I call treat porn. And treat what? porn is a new thing now where you run a drop and you're in a, you're in your OG or your your scorch, and you do like that little pinky off the paddle as your boat skips out from the drop to show like how it stayed on top of the water. That's like a thing now in videos. You guys seen that? I always do that. You don't do that. This thing is treat porn. You don't need to cover it in videos. You know what I mean? Pinky's, pinky's up, man. You do your you do your booth. You have your first of all. You shouldn't even have the helmet cam to begin with. But if if you do, don't do the treat <laughs> porn. That's a, an aesthetic we don't need. Dude, pinkies up is just good style, man. I'm, I'm gonna contest you on this. I'm gonna back my rant. Shows up with you're not like death gripping. You're gonna back who? <laughs> are you a are you a you're a you're a pinky pinky type, Lewis? Yeah, I think so. Can someone from the gorge get me some footage of Lewis so I can see this happening? I got to see what this looks like. He has a very lanky, slalomy style. Yeah, nothing wrong with turning into the Tin Man of my old age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna rave about. I'm gonna rave about the juniors, junior racers, kids out there. You know, 
15 years old, lifting weights in the takeout, vegetarians, just just living the good, clean life and just kayaking so well. So it's been that's been my most inspirational thing of of uh, of the past three or four weeks kayaking. Kids out there crushing. Can I make a request for next episode? Yeah. Some guy wrote us about uh, the Big Gun Show, Vacation to Hell. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yep. It's on the trail. It's time we take a deep dive into that, isn't it? We can deep dive into that. I mean, if we get there's some, if if there's you know, somebody the, who's listening to this entire show and they are made it to this point and they want to hear about that, <laughs> write us a letter and maybe we'll do a, a deep dive into it. Yeah. We got I mean, the whole LV, the whole LVM, like the Daniel Delavern, Spencer Cook, John Grace, IR, Big Gun Show, Triple Crown, Vacation to Hell. It was very it's, much like that trip to the Kolka for those guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. There were some ups, there were some downs. <laughs> we laughed, we cried. <laughs> and we all still hang out. Yeah. <laughs> No, that would be a good one. That would be a good one. But that's a lot to unpack there. That's a whole show. Yes. I mean, the Big Gun Show, I mean, he acted on the Big Gun Show, the Vacation to Hell. I, I think you and I both would like to discuss the Vacation to Hell, <laughs> certainly parts of it. There's some, stuff, oh my some God. stories about that that we could get into. <sighs> There's some good <laughs> stories about that. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know man. if we can really bring some of that to light, though. Should we just keep it buried, I mean, you think? You think that, that's, that's that, the best thing to do? That's just... I mean, there's some things we can't talk about, but the real nitty-gritty, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to come out in a good way. Yeah, yeah. There's no upside to that. Maybe we'll just take that to our grave. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Well, thank you for listening to Hammer Factor, episode 85, and we will see you on the river. <laughs>